Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform and Repeat. This is a podcast on high performance. It will be presented by myself, David Clancy, and my two co-hosts, Connor Gavin and Kieran Dunn. What we're striving to achieve here is figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why are they successful. Rate and review, share with your friends, but most importantly, enjoy. Welcome listeners to another episode of Sleepy Perform Repeat, episode number 49. Today we spoke to Jaco Tauté, professional rugby player, Springbok, formerly the Stormers of Super Rugby, Munster Rugby, and now currently playing with the Leicester Tigers. In this episode, Jaco talks about his adaptation period to Leicester from Munster and his transition from the Southern Hemisphere to the Northern Hemisphere. We open up a dialogue about his interesting playing career to date and the rich cultures he's been a part of. It was fascinating to hear Jacko talk about his injury career and how he showed serious mental strength to bounce back several times. Also, listen to Jacko talk about what he looks for in a good rugby player. There was so much to take away from this episode, from key themes such as adaptability, grit, and work ethic. We'd like to specially thank The Beard Struggle who make premium beard products, who actually sponsored this episode. If you'd like more information on the beard struggle, you can find them on social media or they have their own website. If you'd like more information on this particular episode or any of our others, check out our website at www.sleepeatperformrepeat.com. Please subscribe, share, rate and review, but most importantly, listen and enjoy. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Sleepy Perform Repeat. We're here with Jacko Tate, and I'm going to pass you over to David to introduce this great guy. So Jacko is a South African professional rugby player, has quite an illustrious career to date. He's, he's played in Super Rugby with the Stormers, featured in the Curry Cup back in South Africa. And he, he made the trip over to the Northern Hemisphere a couple of years ago and played a starring role for Munster in the Pro 14 Champions Cup and even followed in such footsteps of Doug Howlett and Jim Williams because he was captain of Munster in a game. So big, big achievement for him. And now he's playing for the Leicester Tigers. So we're very much looking forward to hearing um, Jacko's story to date. So how's life and what are you up to these days, Jacko? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, perfect. No worries, lads. Good to be on. Um, life is good. Settled into Leicester now, moved over here, I'd say, five months ago from Munster in Limerick. So it's always a little bit of a, an adaptation period to a new place, new people. And, but all good, settled in. Um, I'll start playing this weekend, so that's very good for me. We had a very long pre-season and all of that. But um, yeah, can't complain. All's been well, thanks. So you've obviously shown an awful lot of adaptability through the years because... You know, you it probably showed a lot of courage to to go from the Southern Hemisphere, from South Africa to Ireland and now to England. Just tell us a little bit about how easy it might have been to make that decision to leave South Africa or, or was it a hard decision for you? Yeah, I think when I started my career at a very young age, I think I was only 18, um, still at school when I made my first, played my first game for the Golden Lions back in Joburg and then playing there for four years and then many of you guys can remember that time but then they got kicked out of super rugby for a year yeah 
and then I just actually made my international debut for the Springbok. So, um, and then through Springbok, the coach and stuff wanted I wanted me to still play Super Rugby. So then I I, I went on a loan period to the Stormers, where I then played one or two games, and then had a horrible injury to my knee, and then um, my my rugby world almost got turned a bit upside down because I was only there on a loan period, and I had a massive knee injury, where a total reconstruction of my right knee and then luckily they saw enough in me the stormers to give me then a long-term contract there so i rehabilitated and then played there won the curry cup there played a few seasons and then i almost just came to a point in my career at that time i was only 24 and i was i've been playing for six years professional rugby so and my career almost came to a little bit of a, a standstill in terms of um Almost like a mid-career, I don't know how to call it, like a mid-career stagnation. And then, luckily, the opportunity came about through Rossi that I've even known before with my time at the Stormers. And then um, he gave me a call and said, listen, do you want to come over to Munster on a short-term deal? We stuck for injuries here. And I think that was just a blessing for me. Um, knowing Munster all my life, being a big rugby fan, I thought this is, this is perfect for me. Um, I couldn't be more lucky. So then I went to Munster, and then um, what was initially a short-term loan turned into three years over there. So yeah, it was quite a hell of a ride, but I enjoyed it. And um, I, was, I was very grateful and lucky for the opportunity I received from Rossi that time. Yeah, we didn't, we, didn't want to, we didn't want to get rid of you. I remember it was coming to that point. You came over, I think, for Francis Saili, who got injured. And we were just like, wow, this centre better stick around. How can we retain him? How can we convince this guy to stay in Limerick for another couple of years? So um, it was great you made that decision. And then I, re I actually remember you scoring a couple of tries against your current team right now. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Was, I was only there for, I think, two months and we, and we were straight into the Heineken Cup and playing against Leicester. And I think it was the December doubles that year. Um, yeah. It was unbelievable. That was actually my first taste after the game we played for Axel against Glasgow. And yeah. it was just amazing to see the Heineken Cup in full swing there, playing home and then away and then experiencing as well Leicester Tigers on an away game, and the, the rich culture and issue they have. And, and then, you know, rugby, is, I, I, I seem to strike a good, good run of form and, and the ball bounced my way. And, and in sport, I just had one of those days where everything goes away and it turned out that I scored a few tries and the team played very well. So, um, yeah, so it was just an unbelievable time for me at Munster. Perfect. And with Munster, we often hear about the rich culture and how it's a family sort of atmosphere and things like that. Tell us a bit about how you settled in there and what it was like. Yeah, I think, first of all, for me, it was it was new going to the Northern Hemisphere, um, especially so far from home. But luckily, I I had no ties in terms of I didn't have a wife or kids. So it was, for me, a, quite an easy transition. Um, and then getting there and getting to know the Irish people and the community of Limerick. And it was very nice. The Irish people are always warm and welcoming. I didn't really have a, have a problem settling in. I think the only thing that really caught me was the weather, the, the adaptation to the weather. Because as I joined, it was just becoming winter and it was getting dark and the sun rises late, sets late. You so became think, a heavy drinker, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, there was nights where when it's five o'clock in, in the afternoon, it's dark and you don't want to go to sleep. <laughs> you might just head down for the pub for a pint and a chat with the bomb. And so um, I'm glad I did it. It gave me that that 
sense of life and how people do things differently and, and um so that was cool as well and I, and I really enjoy that and then yeah and then we played really well and then I ended up staying there for another two years and and now and now you're part of another club rich with history European success domestic success you've players of Leicester of the caliber of Martin Johnson Neil back players such as that Tuolangi um, what's it like to be part of the Tigers now, playing in Welford Road and kind of, you know, like you said, that first game's coming up. What 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 does that feel like for you? Yeah, awesome. Um, with all the chats I had over here with people and, and, and appearances and stuff, I always mentioned for me, the two clubs are, are unique in their own sense, but they draw loads of similarities between them in terms of just the small things like, like monsters in the countryside, um, away from all the hustle and bustle of city life, real city life. And then you also get Munster that's down south, away from Dublin. and It's more chill and it's more countryside. And um, the fans and the history of the club and just the way they play. There's loads of similarities between the clubs. So I think for me, it was an easy decision to come here. And um, they have been struggling the past few seasons. But just as I joined Munster that year, they came off two seasons that weren't up to the standard they usually perform at. So I also saw that and I, and I, and I really just drew me towards the club. I knew that um, I liked uh, to be as a person that makes a difference, not only on the field, but also off the field. So I just saw it at my, in my time, my career, and I, I received this opportunity. And unfortunately, my time at Munster ran out. Because as a foreign player, especially if you're internationally capped, you know, you know your role you play at a club. You know you're there to play and contribute to the team and also try and develop the younger players that's not quite ready for for Heineken Cup or week in and week out of Pro 14 rugby. So I, I knew my time would be my time would come. Saying this year, so my time would come there because it is borrowed time and that's how the system works and that's why the system has been so successful over there. So I just knew I had to make a decision and luckily Leicester Tigers came up and I yeah I didn't think twice because I knew it would similarities were there and yeah so it was it was quite an easy choice for me and and Jacko what are you hoping be it on pitch or off the field sort of qualities that you possess as a person and as a player hoping to bring to Leicester yeah I just think I, I grew up with, uh, from a very modest family that, that taught me the values of hard work and what it, what you need to do to achieve a certain goal so I think through that through my parents and stuff I know that that when you're in a, in a tough situation, the only thing that will get you out of there is by doing something different and, and working harder. And So I'm just the type of guy, like I won't, uh, I do back my rugby ability and all of that, but I'm not a guy that would always score 60 meter tries or or do crazy stuff on the field, but I'm a, I'm, I'm a hard worker and I'm a team man. And I really believe in that, that a good team stems from a good culture. Um, so, that's what I try and that's what I would like to try and contribute over my years. Yeah, is just to contribute to the team culture, and, and of course, my first job is to perform on the field and make sure we win, and, and I perform towards the team so that the team can win. So, for me, basically, that's that. It's just to it's just to show the lads, or not that they don't know it, but it's just to contribute to a culture that works hard and wins trophies and knows what it takes to, to be able to do that. Excellent. So, with that team culture you mentioned, um, I recently heard David Coulthard, the Formula One driver, talking about he was the tip of the iceberg, one man for 
a company of maybe 800 to 900 people and he was the front and that was all the teamwork that made him reach the podium. And that's sort of similar with the 15 players that go on the pitch and the subs that are used. There's a big backroom staff there. Well, so who has been the most influential in terms of that backroom staff in your career, be it a coach or a physio or anyone like that? Is there anyone in particular you'd like to mention? Yeah, I think now, I think this is my 10th year now in professional rugby. So I've seen it all, or I've seen most of it. I mean, you've never seen it all because you never stop learning. But I think, like you said, the, these days in professional sport and the way rugby's evolved, the, the background staff is massive. The, whole, the wider squad from the medical staff to the SNC to the head coaches and all of that is, is so important how it all links in how it all links and how that all contributes to actually what what's the most important. That's the lads performing on a Saturday for eighty minutes. So but I'd say in my career I've had coaches that um when I was younger at the Lions, just at school, John Mitchell just came to the Lions and um he was there and, and he backed me actually in Alton Yanchis, the Springbok um, fly-off with Henry Pollard. So he played a, a, a big part in my career of my development early on and, and just teaching me what it is to be a professional rugby player. He played a massive role. And of course, um, for me, having dealt with very, very, very serious injuries over my career, I've had some great SNC coaches. At the Stormers, a man called Steph Dutoy, he, he was, I think he's, at the moment he's a star at Fonsei. Um, he helped me a lot. The guys from the Stellenbosch Institute of Sport that I did my first four months of rehab with. Um, and then, of course, when I did my ACL again in, in, at Munster, the SNC coaches. And then, of course, a guy like Rassi. I, I've learned um, an immense amount of, of rugby knowledge from him through working for me at the Stormers and then working with him at the Springboks and working with him at Munster and the defence coach, Jock Nibon. You know, but I can't speak highly enough of them, but. Yeah, there's there's so many names to, to mention, but I think that it's just a it's just a feeling of where you are at your career at the point. So for me, I, there was points where I was out for a year, and then the SNC coaches and the physiotherapists they played a massive role. And like I said, my earlier development under John Mitchell um, really shaped me as a player. Draco, talk to us a little bit about the fact you've obviously had to overcome two significant knee injuries, right? And I suppose you've had to show so much grit and resilience and mindset, you know, strong mental aptitude to to bounce back physically, but also mentally and get yourself back into that frame of mind to perform at such a high level. Just just shed light on a little bit about how your identity can change through that period and kind of what you learn about yourself when you go through instances like that. Yeah, massively. I think um, even... When I started my career, I was lucky enough. Um, I think I had four years where I just had one shoulder arthroscopy. So that was three months. Rehabilitated that easily, got on. Um, never really struggled with any soft tissue injuries. And then when I signed for the Stormers and I just thought my career was going to kick off, I just became a springbok. Something any young South African boy dreams of works towards their life. And then I had the massive knee injury on my right knee where... Um, I actually, they actually told me that this can be career-ending, and then it's very tough. It's 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 the one, it's the one. Sport gives so much in terms of the lifestyle and and the opportunities we get as professional sportsmen, and and but then the bad part about it is the injuries because it can take so much out of you. And and I must say, my first injury was really tough for me, especially dealing with the fact that the stress of 
orthopedic surgeon saying, listen, this is a massive surgery, this can be career ending, and then having the surgery and then hearing that it was successful, but we'll see how the rehabilitation progress is the first month. And as you guys know, it's the most important part of an ACL you know, or total knee reconstruction. And then for me, the toughest part was just uh, the fact of rehabbing and then getting to a stage where you need a run and running is completely new again. It feels like you've never run before something that came so natural and then you start getting, then your mind starts playing tricks on you and then you get through one period and then you return to sport specific training and then you feel, oh, I don't move as well as I normally, as what I usually moved and then you start doubting yourself again. And as a young guy, that was quite tough for me. Um, so I managed to get through, through that with 12 months of rehab and played my first game again and then as you know then it, it all started flowing and then I had a few more complications with my knee after that um, so it is testing the first knee was very testing for me in terms of all the psychological things of doubting yourself getting through it dealing with the pain dealing with the rehab and then I must say my second ACL that I on my left knee that I did with Munster was way easier for me because I've been through all of that and it wasn't as bad as my first one um, so dealing with the second ACL was way easier because just I, it wasn't the fear of the unknown and I exactly knew my rehab protocol and had a bit of setbacks here and there with that. That's normal. But um, yeah, it, it's a massive part of sport. And I think as a person, I learned a lot. Like you said, I learned a lot about myself. And I learned what you're capable of as a human being. And I learned how to cope with pressures that are not the normal pressures of being nervous for a match or preparing for a match. I learned to... It's like they say, real problem or real, real stresses and stuff. So, um, and it's still helping me in my career. It made me mentally tougher. It made me work harder. It made me train harder. And I think it made me actually realize what pressure is and, and what truly can go wrong. And, and in a sense, gave me an appreciation of what I do and, and that every game can be your last game. So for me, it was a life changing moment. And, um, Although it was very tough, I'm not going to say it was easy, it was very tough. I learned a hell of a lot from it, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Excellent. And just in terms of that, that's very difficult, but you learn a lot of good insights. Was there any strategies you use, particularly like maybe goal setting or self-reflection or anything like that during the time for someone who's rehabbing at the moment? Yeah, I think for me, the, with my second ACL, it's just... When it happens and the initial trauma sets in and you get the MRI and you go, listen, your ACL is torn and you've got a bit of meniscus torn, you're going to be out for a long while. I think for me, what helped me the second time is I almost completely withdrew myself from, from not withdrew, I actually just withdrew myself out of out of rugby for the, for the 10, 14 days after surgery and I really took a step back and just completely switched off, tried to switch off and just deal with it step by step and then once I started feeling better because I just felt then I, I didn't on day four feel oh my knee is extremely sore I need to start rehabbing because I knew the process and I just withdraw myself and then once the rehab started as you say I started my first phase of rehab and just focus on that I never focused on the on the long-term goal that's being back on the field I, you just focus three four weeks at a time in your specific rehab blocks and then before, once you, once you just get through those four weeks time at a time, you re actually realize after six months, listen, I'm, I'm back training again. I'm doing what I love and, and my knee feels good. So I think the first thing is just realizing what, 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 what's happened 
yeah. and then dealing with that first, withdrawing yourself from that, and just saying it's okay. Listen, I don't have to think about rugby or rehab now for the next 10, 14 days. You can just get through the, through the surgery, chill on the couch, play PlayStation or study or whatever, and just get yourself your mind out of it. Because I think if you wake up the next day and you already worry about what's going to come, you just put so much pressure on yourself. Very good. Jack, I'd like to just take a little step away um, from from the injury for a minute. And just, I had a very interesting conversation yesterday in London with um, a former Munster player called Mossy Lawler, who um, is now leading up the Academy of Connacht. And I was chatting to him about it and I kind of said, you know, Mossy, what, what do you look for in a, in a rugby player coming through, you know, 15, 16 years of age? And Mossy said, who retired professionally around 10 years ago, said, um, well, the first thing I do, Dave, is I ask that player, can you go up and climb on a tree? All right. And it took me back for a minute. And I kind of, what do you mean by that? And he went, well, most of the young people we see spend time on iPads or spend time indoors or are watching TV a lot. And they mightn't be able to do the things that maybe if you're 30 now or players that are or in the, or 40s now would have taken for granted 10 years ago when they were playing rugby at the age of 14, 15, when they were physically developing. So if you have a young, a young rugby player, a 15 year old that's coming to you, what, what do you look for in a young rugby player to say, well, there's someone I identify could actually make it as a professional player in the next couple of years. Yeah, that's actually, I think that's a brilliant statement from Marcy there. I think through growing up in South Africa, at a young age, you always run around with a ball or you play in the garden or like you say, when he said climb trees, I just thought back, we used to climb so much trees and just play and be active. So I think when I see a young rugby player, the first thing I, I would look at is his natural ability to, to move around the pitch and to, and to be able to play and understand the game. Um, I think for me... The small basics of rugby can be easily taught, but if you look at a, at a player's young instincts and the, and the way he interprets the game and the way he sees space on the field and the way he plays towards space and the way he, he manipulates defenders and the way he defends and, and what body positions he gets into and the way he moves is, for me, vitally important because at the end of the day, rugby is a very physical and attritional sport for certain positions, um, but at the end of the day... It, the guys who really succeed and go on to play professional sport is the guys who understand the game on a different level. Guys who see space and how to, how to distribute the ball to space and, and when to defend and how to defend. And, and then on the other side, I can also add, is that it's just the natural fearfulness of playing the game and how... Because it's physical, you can see immediately in a player that who actually just it comes natural towards them to be able to tackle, to handle a breakdown, be able to run with the ball. So for me, that will be the first thing that I look in a player because you can easily see a player's ability if he doesn't want to tackle or doesn't want to carry the ball or can't see space. So I think for me, and like like Mossy said, the natural ability to move around because if you can climb a tree, you you, you naturally you up there because it requires a lot of strength. So I think for me, that will be the most important things to look at. Very nice, yeah. Um, in terms of, it's not easy to make the transition from the Southern Hemisphere to the Northern Hemisphere. And to do that, and also Captain Munster, must, must require a lot of good qualities, a lot of leadership qualities. 
what do you think are them the qualities that made you become a captain at Munster? What are the most important? I think, especially at Munster, when I first arrived there, um, I try to I, I try to let my actions speak louder than my words because I think that's the most important character um, for me character characteristic of a leader is the way he leads by his actions. So for me, and I grew up like that because I, I was in leadership roles at school. I was head boy of my school, and so I've always known that. In those circumstances, yeah, it's speaking, talking, and motivating, and, and being able to deal with problems and solve problems, communicating is important. But especially in a sport that's so attritional and requires such skill and, and physicality, it's important to lead by your actions. And um, because people only follow what they see, what 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 they see is possible. So for me, that's the most important thing. Um, and luckily, in my career, I've had the privilege of playing with greats of the game in terms of John de Villiers, Goldberger, the likes of all the standing Irish international stars at the moment. So um, it's very important that a leader, especially in a sports environment, leads by his actions because if not, how can you expect other people to follow you then and, and bring the best out of them if you don't show them that it's possible? So I think by leading by example for me, especially in sport, is, is, is the greatest leadership quality you can have. That's brilliant. And then the last one for me is you mentioned a few times about the culture and that high performance culture. What particularly do you think makes a high performance culture? I think in the teams and the organizations I've been successful with, we've, we've won trophies is... I've always described it as that so people have different reasons for playing the game. Some guys love the game, some guys love the fact that, or not love the fact, some guys like the fact that they can have a financial reward at the end of the month. Some guys love being around people, some guys love it because they want to prove people wrong, some guys love it because they want to make their families proud or their wives or kids. So high performance culture is where everyone can channel those emotions and, and, and feel for the game into the organization's goal. And that for me is always hard to get in a performance, high performance place because these days in sport, you guys know every team has a, has a great setup. The game's gone professional. Everyone has got great facilities. Everyone's got a great S&C coach and good coaches. But the biggest thing would be the motivational drive factor to go week in and week out. And if you get all those individual emotions flowing into the team goal where then a person puts the team goal first is how you create a high performance culture for me and and then the teams I've been successful in that's that's what we did the guy can maybe play just because he wants to prove his family wrong and that's his internal drive but then he's willing to take that drive and put it into the main drive of the team winning a trophy or the team ending top six or whatever the team's goal is to be able to draw from that to contribute to the team week in and week out. Jacko, I'd like to I'd like to finish with asking a two barrel question. A little bit of reflection because we've we've learned a lot about you and acknowledge you for showing a lot of vulnerability and really opening up. Um, it's been excellent. If if Jacko Tate could um, give his younger self, going back in time ten years from today, what advice would you give a younger version of yourself? That's the one first question I want to ask you. I've actually thought about this. Because when you get like 
I'm getting now to the, to the end of my, not the end of my career, but like I, I'm definitely on my way out to say in, in, in such words that I'm, I won't be playing the game for another 10 years like I was when I was 18. Um, I think if I could give myself any more advice when I was younger is to, for me, it's hard because I, I like to train extremely hard. In terms of on a Tuesday session, um, I train extremely hard and I put my body, I taste my body to the max. And then on a Thursday again. So for me, if I look back ten years ago, I, I would actually tell myself to train smarter. That I've only realised a bit late in my career because of the injuries I had and stuff. I got really clued up with with the body and how the body functions and the mechanics and physiotherapy and diet and all of that. So. I think incorporating that, I would have told myself to be a bit more smart at times and not always just go full belt into everything I do um, because that catches up with you at the end of the season, in the middle of the season or in times of how you look after your body. And for me, it's hard because I've always been one of those guys that run headfirst into something. If it was running headfirst into three or, or just driving my bicycle as fast as I can. Or, but if I think if I was younger, that would be my advice to myself. It's just to, to train smarter. And then also just don't get too lost in the moment. Because when you're young and everything's going well, you feel you're on top of the world. But then as life is, it brings you down very quickly. And that's things. But that's the same thing people always tell you. But you always realize a bit later when you're a bit older and stuff. But I would say for me, it would be to train smarter not necessarily always harder and just to not always get lost in the moment and just be, yeah, be thoughtful of your surroundings and where you are, but not get lost in it. And let's, let's finish with flipping it the other way. And you, you're going to, you're going to leave a legacy in a lot of different countries and places. You've represented your country and you've played with a lot of successful clubs. What, what's your legacy? What are you trying to leave so that in five or 10 years down the line, you can look back and say, I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, I think when you play professional sport and it's so performance-driven every week and, and when you get to my career age where I've played 10 years now, you realize quickly that, that you're never bigger than a sport and, and you're never, the sport will always go on next week. If, you don't, if you're injured, there'll always be a guy playing in your position and, and my dad actually taught me something from a young age that you must always remember there's always someone out there that's better than you. Not to doubt your own abilities, but there's always someone out there that's a bit more hungry and a bit more, that, that wants a little bit more. So that, and that always kept me on my toes. And, and today, until this day, it still does. And it, and it keeps me, like I said, it keeps me working harder because I know, listen, there's someone out there that, that, that's also working hard, that also wants that jersey, that also wants to play. And all of that. So, but for me, I think the legacy I, w I would want to leave is, is, is for me quite a personal one. Is because, like I said, people forget about players. They people re they remember guys who played 110 Test matches, or the guy who's always scored 40 tries in his career, or whatever. That it's just that's just how supporters are, and that's how they should be. But for me, the legacy I want to leave is I want to leave a legacy in the teams I've played. Um, to be remembered by the way I trained every day, the way I conducted myself, the way I inspired people, helped guys out when they've had troubled times. So for me, I know it sounds a bit weird, but for me, my legacy would always be, try to always be remembered as a very good player, but 
I think for me personally, when I look back at my career, when I'm 50 years old and, I, and you still have a reputation with your peers of someone who really inspired me, someone who brought the best out of me, someone who gave the everything for the team, someone who laid, laid it down week in and week out for the bigger cause, it would for me be a, a prouder achievement one day and, and it would really, would really make me proud one day if I know that my peers and the guys, the guys I played with still remember me as that. Because like I said, in 40 years' time, there will be new record breakers, new guys who won trophies. But for me, as a legacy, I would, I would love that if, if, I, if my peers and the guys I played with thought of me like that. Because then I know I was a good teammate and I, I really contributed to their lives and for, the, for the goal we wanted to achieve together. Jacko Tate, thank you very much for that. Myself and Kiran really enjoyed listening to you today. You're a you're a man and a player that has tremendous work ethic, tremendous skill, and definitely tremendous humility. So we're wishing you all the best with Leicester this weekend and forward. Stay healthy and um, looking forward to watching the rest of your career. Maybe you'll play for another ten years or another five years. Whatever it is, we're going to enjoy seeing you play and wishing all the best after your rugby as well. So thanks very much for coming on today. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much for having me and um, good luck with you guys' adventures. And I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, it was really good. Thanks, guys.